0: like wow like hello what whatever it is i'm liking it
1: well hello and welcome to episode 18 of podventure time this is the show where i make ben watch cartoons yeah, and I'm uh, mildly enjoying it at this point. So so you must be Ben. That makes me Pat. Hey. And uh, we're doing a little experiment here where we're watching my favorite show, or one of them anyway, Adventure Time. I'm a big, huge, super fan, and uh, until we started doing this show, you had never watched it before, so I'm kind of trying to make you into a fan as well, and... We are quite a ways into it now. We are going to discuss tonight Season 2, Episode 5,
0: and Season 2, Episode 6. So, we're getting into the thick of the show here. Yeah, we really are. And I would say, as far as our experiment is going, I will let you know, Pat, that while you have made me a fan, or at least a, a willing observer of the show, I have also heard from folks who listen to the podcast that... A couple of them have started watching Adventure Time to follow along with us, but also to just sort of see what it's all about. So in that sense, I think you are being an excellent evangelical Adventure Time
1: fan. Count it. Yep. I think uh, Pendleton Ward is just counting those fat stacks as a result of our wildly successful podcast.
0: Yeah. I think that's true. I will just say, in all seriousness, thank you to those who people who are listening to us uh, talk every week. Thanks so much for giving us a try and giving us the feedback that you've given us, and uh, for those who have visited us from the Adventure Time subreddit. Welcome, thanks for coming. For those who have found us via our Facebook page, again, also welcome. Please provide any feedback you want to the show. We really do appreciate you listening, and so just want to say thank you to everyone.
1: Yeah, we want to hear it from you. In any case, let's jump in here to Season 2, Episode 5, which is called Storytelling. And I think it's appropriately timed based on the number of people in
0: my life who I have seen be, like, violently ill lately. Oh, man, yeah. The flu bug is out. And, uh, the, and vaccinations can do nothing to stop it, apparently, this year. No, I, you're right. The whole episode hinges around the fact that Jake is sick and wants Finn to tell him a story, but not just any story. Right. It seems that for whatever reason,
1: Jake has decided that a story will cure him, but it can't be a story that he's heard before, and it also can't be a story that Finn is just going to make up, which puts Finn in a bit of a predicament. It forces him to go out and make a story that he can then
0: relate to Jake, and that's where we run into some issues indeed and it's not just make up a story jake also has a few requirements it needs that's right he has a
1: list of of things that need to be included or else you know yeah his gut i think he says i'm gonna
0: my guts are gonna come flying out of my face it essentially needs to be an epic story that includes four key elements romance fighting suspense and a happy ending right Yes, I believe that those are the four. All right, so Jake sends Finn out into the world with this list of story elements that he needs to manufacture, and Finn is ill-suited to the task, I would say.
1: Yeah, Finn is much better at participating in stories than
0: making them. Yeah, the first thing that Finn tries to do is, is romance is the number one thing on the list, so Finn tries to manufacture some romance. So he And he is not much of a matchmaker. Oh my gosh, uh, it gets really, really uncomfortable, frankly. Finn is just trying to manufacture romance so he simply wanders around the woods, yelling at forest creatures, asking them if they would kiss in front of him. And it goes about as poorly as one could imagine that tact would go.
1: Yeah, I think he starts out with a pair of ants under a rock who just sort of speak to him in an unintelligible language, so that doesn't go anywhere. And right. The really bad, awkward, ter- terrible scene is when he comes across a fox and a goose. Mr. Fox and Bubafina, I believe, are their names. Correct. And they're just kind of hanging out, sitting around, being friends, but Finn decides that these are the perfect two individuals. I almost said people, but that... That wouldn't have been accurate. These are the the perfect individuals to come together in a perfect union and, and harmony and, and make out in front of him so that he can relay that
0: story to Jake. Yeah, and he basically says casually, Hey, will you guys kiss in front of me? It's for my friend. Which sounds about as creepy as any introduction to two new people could sound. And the, the Mr. Fox and Blubafina reject the offer, reject the request... Finn then melts down a little bit and basically says, "Please, it's for my friend. I've got I'll do anything." <laughs> the fox is intrigued by that proposal and just sort of offhandedly says, "Would you eat some dirt?" And Finn gladly eats dirt for his friend Jake and then and then says, "Now I've eaten dirt, now you have to kiss in front of me." Yeah, the fox never really offered a quid pro quo, but no, Finn expects one nonetheless. Yeah. They are still not into it, and at which point Finn forcibly makes the fox and the goose kiss. Ever the action hero. Right. Pushes them together against their will, forces them to kiss, at which point they recoil in horror that he has violated them in such a way, and both run off uh, crying for different reasons. Yeah, it's it's not just bad because
1: Finn has forced them to kiss, but it actually is going to have some pretty serious
0: real life implications for the two of them right it was not good for either of them that that kiss happened right the goose is actually in love with a male goose and now believes that she is essentially sullied in the eyes yeah the male
1: goose goose whose name i think is mr goose right i i I wonder what's going on in the larger goose community of Ooh, where you can go by either mr goose or someone might just name
0: you boobafina (laughs) well I mean, I guess the, the if we're going to try to come up with some sort of logic, both of the male animals in this story are called Mr. Mr. Fox and Mr. Goose, while the female has a different kind of name. Perhaps that is. Oh,
1: that's true. Okay, so maybe it's like a like a lion and his pride type of thing. There's only one male of, of certain species, and they just get to be Mr. And then all the women have to have impressive, <laughs> unusual-sounding names in order to curry their favor so that's where Fina comes from you can't just be called claire i
0: suppose if you want to stand out and if we were to imagine that this is paul if i'm going to take my meta theory to this uh you know maybe it's just that if this is all coming up out in in finn's mind maybe he's just not that creative coming up with names
1: yeah although that doesn't really explain Fina very well except that it's just nonsense maybe he's just Making up nonsense syllables and assembling them randomly in his brain.
0: Yeah, I mean it does sound like a name that my four-year-old would create. Although I, I guess we're assuming that Finn is like eleven years old, so whatever. Anyway, the,
1: but I, I think that uh, I think Finn's twelve or thirteen by now. Sure. But, you know, the the subconscious of a twelve or thirteen-year-old probably is not terribly different from the conscious mind of a four-year-old. Uh, that's probably true. That's fair four year olds are just yelling their subconscious at full blast all the time, and uh twelve year olds sometimes have to go to sleep in order to access it
0: right indeed, so we have this problem for Bubafina now that she has she views herself as sullied and ruined and can never approach her true love, mr goose and Mr. Fox has a problem in that he actually was in love is in love with Bubafina, and now he Basically says she'll never, she'll never love me now. She'll I'll never have my moment. You forced the moment that I was hoping would happen eventually, but because you forced it, you've ruined it, and now we can never fall in love organically.
1: Yeah, I think that would make some sense. You know, the moment has to be right, the kiss has to be natural, and I and I think I've blown it with Vubafina now. But I I, I kind of have to take issue if if Mr. Goose really does want a mate who has never kissed anyone ever before then Mr. Goose, you know, he needs to consider the position of female geese in in his world. Now that I think of it, actually, it may just be that she's kissed a fox, and foxes, of course, are known to eat fowl of various types, so maybe he's not a raging puritanical sexist. Maybe he's
0: just racist against foxes. Well, and to be fair to Mr. Goose, he never said anything. This is all coming from the mind of Bubafina. She assumes that this is going to be a problem for him. That's true.
1: That's true. She could
0: just be making it up. And actually they 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 they're at least
1: hanging out later on in the episode. We see Bubafina and Mr. Goose yeah. just kind of they don't
0: appear to be grossed out by one another. Yeah, I think that this is panic on the part of Bubafina. But at any rate, the what has happened is that Finn has horribly violated at a very basic level the personal spaces of these two creatures and has also possibly ruined some of ruined their social lives. So, but he, he is, uh, he's undaunted, I suppose. He's, he feels, I think he feels a little bad about it, but he is still driven by the need to create this story for Jake. So he moves on. And yeah, I think we've,
1: we've seen plenty of times where Finn in an effort to save Jake when, when he's motivated by a threat to Jake, will just take whatever physical action he can. And in this case, it was, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I'm mad at Finn, quite frankly, for,
0: for the way that he forced those two to kiss, but... I agree. I agree. It was it was not cool. It was very not cool. And Finn sort of seems to realize it, but he still has to come up with a story, so he proceeds further into the forest and, and keeps manufacturing those elements that he's looking for. And the next one he needs to manufacture is a fight. And fortunately, he doesn't have to travel too far for this. He comes upon a teenage bear cub and his mother just sort of grazing in the woods, and Finn just challenges that teenage bear cub to a fight. He doesn't really challenge him so much as say, hey, you want to fight? Yeah, and I
1: should note that the bear isn't exactly just grazing. He is (laughs) graffitiing the word bear onto what appears to be sort of a dilapidated automobile of some kind. (laughs) That's right. That is right. It is an angry teenage bear. Yeah, so... Pre-teen slash teen Finn and Teenage Bear, are they're going to go at it. They're, they're happy to have this opportunity to, to have a fight, but eventually, of course, Mama Bear shows up
0: and puts a stop to it. Mama Bear does not want the Teenage Bear to fight. However, cannot stop the fight before it at least happens briefly. and The bear attacks, but Finn, Finn retaliates with a, a strong headbutt that immediately knocks out the Teenage Bear, and the Mama Bear is distraught. She thinks that Finn has killed her son. The, the son immediately wakes up and says, Mom, I'm not dead. But she is distraught, and Finn runs away from that scenario, Not probably not sure how to handle that properly. Yet another rash physical action taken by
1: Finn without thought of the consequences, and it has once again blown up in his face. And
0: instead of dealing with it, he runs. So then the next thing on his list is to come up with some element of suspense. So he gets a little dark at this point. Well, darker than yeah. darker than he had been previously.
1: Yeah, and it occurred to me as I was watching actually that the the definition of the word suspense is a little amorphous. Right? You know, I was like, what what is suspense? Is it just there's a threat to a character? Is it there's something frightening? And I couldn't quite come up with a satisfactory definition, I don't think, that really captured everything that suspense is. But to Finn, anyway, it seems to be
0: an imminent threat of physical harm. Right, and so he comes across a nest of baby birds, and his plan is to pick up a rock and suspensefully hold it above their heads as if he may kill them all. Yeah, he's suspending it above their head,
1: and and it's unclear whether Finn plans on following through with the violent act or if he knows the entire time that he's not going to do it. I, it seems to me that he himself does not know whether he's going to do it because if if he knew, then there wouldn't actually be any suspense. So we're so Finn is. I think, stuck in this place where he has to convince himself that he doesn't know whether he's going to drop a rock on
0: a nest of baby birds. Right. And he imagines sort of a uh, nightmarish scenario where he is terrifying these baby birds. He snaps out of it, though, and his hero instincts, his desire to do good, his desire to be pure, overpower this sense of wanting to hold these birds in suspenseful uh, fear
1: yeah after taking a second in a very unfin like move taking a second to consider the consequences of his actions where i think he actually imagined smashing the birds and then the mama bird showing up and wondering where her babies are is rather heart-wrenching but he makes the right decision and, and and sets the rock down although he's very frustrated because he feels like he hasn't adequately created suspense for the story. So he ends up slamming the rock down I think just on the ground, but he doesn't feel and he really isn't any closer to having a great story for
0: Jake than he was before he suspended the rock above the birds. So he has a problem. He has not he has not manufactured a story for Jake that is satisfactory. But at this point things take a turn and he does he loses a bit of control of his own story in the sense because Uh, He turns around to, after he hears a noise, and all of a sudden, all of the animals that he had been harassing that day attack him at once.
1: Yeah, so Finn loses control, and not coincidentally, I don't think, the story starts to get interesting.
0: Indeed. The, The animals attack him and hold him down, and a new character emerges, a forest wizard with a giant wooden staff appears and Finn Finn doesn't know what is happening and sort of very self-aware uh with a lot of self-awareness realizes hey i don't know what's happening this is super suspenseful at which point right. <laughs> at which point the forest wizard clocks him over the head and knocks him out
1: and uh finn wakes up in quite a precarious
0: position finn wakes up in a cage He wakes up in a cage hovering above a mysterious, magical vortex. And the forest wizard is there, and all of the animals are there. And the forest wizard informs Finn that he, because of his crimes against the forest and the forest creatures, he is being put through the rite of forest justice.
1: Yeah, he's going to get his just desserts. You go out there and you
0: mess with forest creatures, they're going to come back at you. That's right. And the forest justice system is not one... That involves a trial. It is... (laughs) They make that very clear. Yeah, he actually asks, don't I get a trial? And the Force Wizard simply says, no. And begins lowering the cage into the magical vortex, which we assume will be a bad place to be. Yeah, it's more or less a Temple of Doom kind of scene. Yeah, indeed. As the cage lowers, though, Finn sort of appears to find the error of his ways, but more so he has a moment of clarity and I think it's sort of a deathbed confession type situation. Indeed. And he apologizes and is so sorry for what he's done, but he also then realizes that he, he actually still has uh, something that he can give these forest creatures, which is uh, advice on how to better live their lives. So he goes pretty rapid fire through the list of creatures he has uh, wronged that day and tells it to them straight.
1: Yeah, I think that, that his interactions with them because of the because of how stressful they were, he, he was able to learn
0: something about each of them and he uh calls them calls them to account. Yeah, he he sees the he sees Boba Fina and says, you know, if you're in love with Mr Goose, you need to tell him. And since Mr. Goose happens to be there at this moment, Mr Goose realizes, Oh, you're in love with me, I'm in love with you and Yeah, they... he kind of uh he kinda of takes a gander at her, if you will. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh. Dad
1: Joke Podcast. Dad Joke Podcast. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I'm I'm all for that. Let's keep going. Uh, that's the next the next character he talks to is Mr. Fox, who said he tells, "Look, you're in love with Boba Fina, but she's in love with Mr. Goose and you just need to move on. You need to be happy with that she's happy and find someone else for yourself. And, Certainly there's a vixen out there for Mr. Fox somewhere." Indeed, indeed. And he he agrees. He sees that it is true that he should just. It will be better for him and better for everyone if he simply moves on and finds someone more suited to him. He then moves on to the teenage bear and says, "Hey, angry teenage bear, you need to stop being such a jerk and stop being the jerk to your mom, because she's just trying to take care of you." But then he gives a little uh, gives a little information, little little sass to the mom as well, and says, "Hey, you also need to treat your kid." Not like a baby anymore. He's no longer a baby cub. He's a teenager, and he needs—he needs to be given the agency to find his own way in the world.
1: Yeah, both of you need to shape
0: up and stop being unbearable. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep teeing him up. You keep—you keep knocking him out of the park. Here we go. Uh, the last though is—he actually addresses then a cow who we had not met to this point, and. A very lovely, graceful cow with a tastefully tied scarf around her neck. And another thing tied around her, a brown paper bag tied around her udders to cover them. And he says, hey cow, you live in the woods. You don't need to cover yourself up. You don't need to cover your shame. You're a beautiful cow. Just let it all hang out. And so she does. A A few birds come to help untie the twine from around her udder. And when the bag drops, it is weird it actually looks a lot like the face that finn drew
1: in the circle to summon marceline's dad in in the first episode of this season
0: yeah it's not so much an utter as it is sort of a sort of a tumor that has a face and yeah it, it's a it it's an utter atrocity yes yes <laughs> are these do you have these teed up or are they, do you have these like ready to go or are you just no uh, man i'm i'm working real hard i'm only halfway listening to you (laughs) you just just like word association like in the zone that is amazing so the i'll keep going you just you you're just you're just playing jazz man (laughs) the next so he the, the forest creatures all recoil in horror at the tumor face and demand yeah this is maybe his only piece of bad advice that he's given <laughs> as he's being lowered to his doom <laughs> right and the forest actually demands that the cow put the udder bag back on but at this point uh he has dispensed his for his wisdom and the forest creatures and the forest wizard thank you thank him for this and decide to let him go
1: yeah he uh has redeemed himself and they stop lowering the cage. And Finn kind of says, well, what am I supposed to do? And the wizard's like, hey, man, your cage is just made out of sticks. Go ahead and just kick out of it. So there you he goes. He busts out of the cage. The forest creatures are happy. The vortex is no longer a threat. And he has a pretty good story
0: in his back pocket. Which he then rushes home to tell his friend Jake, who loves the story and loves it so much that it heals him. And he is rejuvenated. And all is well. Except, ironically, as Finn is rejuvenated, he looks over at his friend Finn, who has begun to show the sign, early signs of a sickness. And yep. in all of his exertion, it seems that Finn has allowed himself to get sick, and is now the one who is in need of care.
1: Yeah, as Jake says, "I, I did you catch my sick? And and Finn believes that he does. And and Jake uh, goes ahead and, and returns the favor and cares for Finn, although it appears to be a much simpler proposition where he just sort of puts a blanket over him as he falls asleep on the kitchen bench.
0: Yeah. So this episode I thought was uh was good. It was funny. It was pretty absurd. I think it returned to a lot of the absurdist roots that the first season had. Yeah, it's definitely weird. And I did not like I I, I was I had a strong emotional reaction to Finn making the forest creatures kiss against their will.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so here's here's kind of what 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 I thought is that it was it was incredibly distasteful. It was supposed to be distasteful. I I read this episode as sort of a meta commentary on the difficulty of creating a story and the way that it's bound to be a failure if it's forced. Oh, I agree. I think that this was the writers, the creators of the show basically working through all the difficulties that they have when they're sitting down trying to write a story and You know, okay, we need to have some romance. So what if we just smash this fox and this goose together? Well, that doesn't work. And so as Finn is trying to force the story, he's not coming up with a good one It's not until he loses control and sort of submits to the creative whims of the forest itself that he actually gets a good story. So I really saw this
0: episode as sort of a metaphor for the creative process itself. I agree. I think that's totally valid to see it that way. Uh, I saw it in a very similar way, uh, slightly twist on it. Um, because of all of the references and and metaphors and things that we have shown between this show and, and different kind of role-playing games like uh, Dungeons & Dragons... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I saw this as sort of the uh dungeon master's lament kind of thing, like this quest to create a create a world, create a story that is enjoyable for the players and when the player goes out and tries to force build one of these stories, he fails utterly. It requires that creative process, it requires more nuance and it frankly requires more work to actually come up with a a playable story, something that is epic and satisfactory for someone to listen to or to be a part of. I think that that um, that's where I saw it. But it's essentially two versions of the same. I think reading of this episode.
1: Yeah. So are you are you seeing
0: Finn as the dungeon master or as the player who's out there trying to force things? No. I think I see Finn very much as the player. However, it's an interesting. The fact that I see him that way is, is interesting because I also have my meta theory going, which is that this whole world is created by Finn in his imagination. So in that sense, he is also the dungeon master. So if my theory were to hold true, this is basically Finn having creative block, I suppose. With you know, if he's if he's creating this whole world to have his own avatar, if you call it that, in the world having trouble creating a story, that's interesting because if I'm to be believed, all the other stories were created by Finn too, just in his just in like a, a meta sense.
1: Yeah, he's sort of fighting with his own imagination.
0: Yeah. So, you know, take my meta theory with all the required amount of salt, but I I I generally disagree with you that this is a commentary on the creative process and how hard it is. Hey, you know what? Let's go ahead and uh,
1: seize on your salt comment and use that as a great segue into season two, episode six, which is called Slow Love. And the salt segue is appropriate because the most important character in this episode is a gigantic snail. Man, you are just, just jazz.
0: You are on it tonight. You're right. the The main character of this episode is a giant snail who is in search of a mate. And I will say, both of these episodes, the fact that we are talking about them the week following Valentine's Day, I found, uh, you know, quite appropriate that we're we're hitting on some themes of love in these two episodes. I mean, the first one was uh, forced love and. And very distasteful, as you said, but we did get some real true organic love towards the end uh, of that first episode but this this whole sl- uh, snail episode is is all about the wooing of the uh, the wooing of a partner yes, so
1: Finn and Jake are just kind of hanging out, and all of a sudden, uh, oh, you know you know what they're doing is they're playing video games, and uh, i I meant to ask you um the the video game system that they're using is this the first time that that we've
0: seen uh that as a character mm, it's i think it's the first time we've seen it have this much dialogue frankly but okay we've seen it like i knew it was sentient like i've seen it walk around their place before okay and they put- I couldn't really remember Bimo is one of my very favorite characters so well, I was
1: I was thrilled to see Bimo show a little personality and be a little ornery
0: yeah I can't remember the last time that I saw him him or her or it have this much personality but I know I've seen it before for example in the Lady Rainicorn episode there's a port- there's a part where Finn and Lady Rainicorn become as they're becoming friends they're playing video games together on Bimo and We've seen it a few other times, but yeah the they are playing video games uh Jake is really playing video games on Bemo in this episode, and then uh because the sound is too loud and it's ruining his concentration, he asks Bemo to turn the sound down, but Bemo is an ornery ornery little cuss, <laughs> as you said, and turns up the sound just to spite him at which point. Jake yells at him and for, and tells him to go sit in the corner like a like a puppy <laughs> but at this moment in the corner of their house a giant snail bursts through the wall screaming and squirting slime and it is uh it is terrifying for a moment
1: yeah he he traps Finn and Jake against the the wall the other wall of their house that they has not smashed through and He's spraying this juice out of him, and Finn and Jake are very concerned that the snail is enraged and is going to eat them. But he explains quickly that it's not mad juice, it's sad
0: juice that he's spraying because he's lonely and can't find love. So Finn and Jake take pity on him and just say, you know, this he's just a lonely galoot. Let's help this little guy, this poor guy. Yeah,
1: Finn and Jake are really remarkably kind to old Snorlock the snail. Yes. Given the fact that he burst through their their wall and then proceeded to adopt their house as his shell.
0: Yeah, so they, they agree to help him. Then they're quite confident, especially Jake. Jake is quite confident that he can help this snail find... a maid in a lady snail that that he that's who he's seeking and i think jake has has shown some some pretty
1: smooth moves in the past i don't think that his confidence is entirely misplaced
0: agreed i mean he's the only character that's had uh girlfriends in this this uh this world i suppose lady rainicorn uh that we mentioned just previously is is established as jake's on again off again girlfriend i suppose and he, uh, so they head off on uh, they head off on a bit of an adventure with this snail, riding on the snail's back, and the snail using Jake's and Finn's house as a shell, which allows Finn and Jake to to accompany him in, in some measure of comfort. Indeed, so they they head off and using using their keen sense of observation and a telescope, they start looking. they, they go on the hunt for a female snail. And they quickly find one they find they find they go to an area that seems to be rife with them apparently yeah there there are a lot of female snails out there and ooh, I guess you just have to know where to look right it's really kind of just down the road from Finn's place apparently so then we go into a a bit of a oh I don't know what's the right metaphor sort of a she's all that kind of scenario or sort of like a trying to trying to teach trying to teach someone how to how to be smooth, kind of m- m- montage, I guess.
1: Yeah, Snorlock needs some coaching up.
0: Yeah, and so Jake is there to provide him with with the co- with the coaching, and his first advice for Snorlock is to be himself. At which point, Snorlock says, "How do I do that?" And Jake just says, "Just talk about just talk about what you normally talk about." Just, <laughs> it's a pretty simple advice. Yeah, be yourself is always advice that sounds
1: simple but I don't think anyone ever really knows exactly what it means. Well, right, cuz it sort of acquires a
0: self-awareness, I think. You have to sort of, before you can if you're trying to actively be yourself. I think you can passively be yourself, but to actively be yourself is actually quite difficult because then you have to be aware of who you are as a person. Yeah, I think once you start trying to be yourself, you stop being yourself. Right, indeed. So uh, it is a bit of a paradox. So anyway, that's the advice he's given. And they meet a, a lady snail. Snorlock has asked for a little bit more beyond just be yourself. So Jake tells him uh, a few lines. He, uh, <laughs> sort of, you know, Cyrano de Bergerac. That is the better. It is not a she's all that situation. It's a, it's a Cyrano de Bergerac situation. And he is feeding the snail lines. Mostly around... Telling a girl how good she smells. Yeah, it's it's not terribly effective as you might imagine. Even yeah. amongst snails. Yeah. And so I will stop here and say that I I think that this advice, if we are to believe my meta theory, that all of this is coming from Finn's mind, focusing on smell as a romantic topic, I think actually fits with the mind of a twelve-year-old boy. Because I think it's it's quite primal. And if we remember back to our 12 year old days, I think scent was a huge part of how everyone was trying to establish themselves as, in terms of being available to whomever they wanted to be available to. Wearing, yeah. overwearing cologne, uh, these are the first things you do when you are kind of starting to be aware of having uh, a sexual desire. Yes, the the
1: amount of time and money and energy that we spent on cologne and 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 I'm going to go ahead and get those, you know, olfactory uh olfactory associated memories working and uh I know my my cologne of choice was Hugo, but I think the most popular one was Tommy and just talking about them I can smell both of those. Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking of like the bus on the way to Iowa city with the band. And I think every little boy had a bottle of cologne that he just had to spray between Davenport
0: and Iowa city. (laughs) Yeah. And you all, did you have, did you have like a particular move? I will say the smart money and by smart money, I mean, this was a horrible idea, but the smart kids, AKA me, you could go to Kohl's and you could buy yourself watered down knockoff versions of all the best colognes out there and you yeah. can spray that on yourself and it would be horrible but you didn't <laughs> know any the wiser and you really regret those decisions in your life but yeah Coles yeah. was basically selling the stuff that you can
1: get in a truck stop gas station
0: <laughs> or or at like the weird places in New York City where you can buy uh knock like like a street vendor knock off everything kind of place. Yeah, fake fake Gucci purses, fake cologne yeah. and kebabs. Yep, yeah, exactly. That's what I was rocking. And it did not work as well as I had thought it would. But it was it, it is still true that smell is how every teen seems to define themselves. It's the it's just a, such a primal and an animalistic kind of um interpretation of what attractiveness is.
1: Yeah, in fact, I've heard it said of a a a young person coming of age that they are quote starting to smell themselves. That's
0: right. Yes, and I and I, I kind of like that. It, it it makes a lot of sense. That's right. So, what we have here is if if I'm going to throw my meta theory in here, we have Finn creating love advice from his own mind through the voice of Jake, but it comes out as, talk to her, talk to this female snail, and tell her she smells good. So we have Snorlax's first interaction with a female snail. He he goes for it. I mean, I have to give him credit for effort and for, for just putting himself out there. He tries to deliver the you smell good line to this lady snail, but... It quickly goes south.
1: Yeah, it, it doesn't go well for Snorlock. It's unclear whether he's trying to be himself or just parroting the the advice that he's gotten. But in any case, he he scares off I think at least two female snails before yeah uh,
0: they really bust out the big guns. The big guns being we need to come up with what you're good at, Snorlock. We need to you need to demonstrate value to these women in a visual way and so they ask him first are you good with swords which again that's what finn's good at that's what finn is good at like that's that's gonna be that's what the princesses love or that's what they seem to like about finn so how about being good at swords and snorlack is unsure if he is good with swords and then they ask if he can beatbox is that the thing yeah, I don't think they ever say the word. I think Jake just starts to do it. Yeah. Or like, are you good at music or something? Yeah, and then and then Snorlock, man, he he gets in the zone. Yeah. He picks up two swords with his sort of snail gooey appendages and starts twirling them in a rhythmic and seductive way and starts beatboxing the heck out of heck out of things and by golly. He's doing that to, uh He's doing that seemingly impossible
1: sort of Bismarcky uh beatbox where he's also doing the melody. <laughs> and uh yeah. it's it's some it's some funky Barry White kind of music that he's twirling his swords to and and that's uh that starts to work. The the,
0: the lady snails come flocking from miles around. Yeah, in fact it's almost they it works too well, frankly. And the lady snails come rushing in and they start grinding their shells up against old Snorlock who is pleased as punch but Jake and Finn are a bit worried because all these big lady snail shells are starting to do some serious damage to the house that sits atop Snorlock.
1: Yeah, and you know I'm going to go ahead and and continue on with our sort of early teenage love theory here where Snorlock becomes popular because he's basically showing off and 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 being ostentatious, which I think is a, a big key to eighth grade love. Yeah. And then the, the the female snails respond to it completely inappropriately. No one, no one tries to talk to him. They're not evidently trying to mate with him. They're just doing this very clumsy and awkward dance that involves slamming into his shell, which is causing the destruction that you mentioned to Finn and Jake's house, which means that this has to stop. Right.
0: And Finn and Jake do their best to put an end to it without without disturbing Snorlax's groove. But there is there is no stopping Snorlax. He is too happy, he is too pleased with what's going on to notice Finn and Jake's distress. So uh, Jake has to take matters into his own hands. He, using his magic body, jumps inside of their house, finds a salt shaker, and comes back out and is forced to throw salt onto snorlak as one would to get rid of a garden snail and it immediately brings the whole episode the whole uh, scene to a halt because it burns snorlack and he screams in agony and yeah he's not he's not smooth anymore he is no longer smooth the women are out of their trance but the the house is destroyed at this point. It's it's almost too late, right? Is am I remembering this? Somehow the house is completely destroyed.
1: Yeah, I don't remember exactly. I, yeah, I think that that Snorlock just somehow over or flips out because he's got salt on him and and, and just, yeah, the
0: house is more or less destroyed. It's, right. it's a lost cause, and it's important that the house is destroyed because it falls off of his body, and it's revealed that snorlack has does not have a shell and he says oh i've never had a shell and at this point they realize snorlack you're not a snail you're a giant slug that's why you've had trouble attracting giant snail females he's just been an ugly duckling the whole time yep and fortunately one of the female snails reveals that she too has been living a lie as a female snail and in fact she is a female slug She's just been wearing a peppermint on her back as a shell. <laughs> a giant peppermint. And so with this reveal, Snorlack and the lady slug are able to be themselves and, and find a bit of love and, uh, and have, their, have their happy ending. So it turns out that being himself was the best advice all along. I like this episode. I thought it was really funny. I like Snorlax as a character. His voice is hilarious. Yes. I can't do it justice here, so I won't try, but I really liked him as a character. I thought he was, thought he was really good. And I thought that the whole episode was just a nice little, nice little arc. I thought it was like, I thought it was a fun little episode. And, and again, I thought it was a nice one to be watching uh, on or about Valentine's Day. Yeah,
1: and I, I really, as as unsuccessful as it was, Snorlock spinning the the swords and beatboxing was, man, that was, it, it won me over anyway. Maybe it, it it didn't it didn't work out for his long term romantic prospects, but I was melting like a like a slug in his in his
0: hand. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, I I liked it too. I thought it was I thought it was great. I have no real other deep thoughts about this episode other than that uh, I really did enjoy thinking about 8th grade romantic tactics.
1: Yeah. (laughs) took me back. I didn't quite make that connection, but uh, now that you've brought it up, there there are definitely plenty of early adolescent
0: moves in this one. Yep. So hopefully this helped you think back to your 8th grade year and how romantically challenged you were as well. And... um, I'll I'll give both of these episodes an okay from me. I thought they were just fine. These were these were a couple of good just fun episodes to be to be in I think our first ep- the first episode we talked about further cemented the dependence that Jake and Finn have on each other have with each other. It was yes. a, it was a, it was a further exclamation point on that point that has been made over and over in this show. And our second episode was was a nice little side quest. It was fun. It was it made me laugh and I enjoyed him. Yeah, I
1: I'm with you. I didn't think that they were remarkable in terms of, you know, moving the larger story along to the extent that there is one or really doing much world building in ooh, but I did think that each of them had uh, another layer on which they could be appreciated as opposed to just the surface layer instead of just being a cartoon where making a fox and a goose kiss is funny, we take it to another level and actually kind of see the consequences of that. And then the whole, you know, learning to be yourself and embracing who you are. And it turns out that you're not a, <laughs> you're not an ugly snail, you're a beautiful slug. I thought both of those were were pretty good messages, if not as meaningful as the the stuff that we've learned so far about Marceline and Ice King and stuff like that
0: yeah so uh all in all a nice couple episodes look forward to our next episode of the podcast where we'll talk about two more but I think that uh we've had we've had all we can say about these two I think so yeah we we're we're
1: running out of of productive things to say so let me just before I forget. Thank Will Yates, the genius electronic musician behind our intro and outro music. Will gives us that free of charge if we just tell you to go to willyates.bandcamp.com, where you can buy one or preferably both of his EPs. Um, ben got at this earlier on in the episode, but check out our Twitter feed. We're at Podventure Time. We're on Facebook. We have a page and a group. Tell you what, if you tweet at us or post something in the Facebook group, we have some fabulous prizes that we can send to you. So we do the first let's say the first three people to either tweet at Podventure Time or post in the Facebook group, you're gonna get a handwritten note on a Podventure Time postcard from Pat and or Ben. So holler at us. And then, when you get your postcard because you're reminded of what a bunch of nice guys we are, then you might take a moment to go to iTunes, give us that five-star review, and uh, write some nice stuff about us. So, that's all the plugs that I have because the only plugs I have are for our podcast. What about you? I have no plugs. (laughs) Okay. Well, then, let's just do this. Let's say that until next time, I've been Pat. And I've been Ben. And uh, this, of course, has been Podventure Time. Girl, you smell good. Did you take a bath in cupcakes and rainbows?